Welcome to episode 8 of the Connecting Dots podcast, where it is my job to connect the dots in the lives of my guests, both in their personal and professional lives. I want to understand what moves and shape them. I want to hear their ideas and learn from their experiences. In this episode, my guest is Pedro Ferreira. We connect the dots in his biography from Portugal to France, back to Portugal and then to Frankfurt am Main, Germany. We also connect the dots in his professional life that he dedicates entirely to startups. He shares super interesting details about the pitch culture of the startup accelerator he's working at. And we talk about dealing with failures, networking opportunities and much more. I want to give you a short outlook of his professional activities. Pedro is an ecosystem builder and serial entrepreneur. He's part of the local team at Founder Institute and of Singularity University in Frankfurt. For those who don't know, the Founder Institute is the world's largest pre-seed startup accelerator. They help founders get to traction and funding with a support network of startup experts. In addition to that, he organizes a lot of startup events in Frankfurt am Main and other cities in Hessen like Gießen, Darmstadt and Wiesbaden. He does so under the umbrella of Frankfurt Valley. But we will talk more about the startup networking opportunities and about Pedro's role in that regard in the interview. So here we go. Pedro, welcome to my podcast. Good morning. Nice Good to morning. see you. Good <laughs> morning. Um, Let's just start where, where your life started to, from where are you originally? Well, I'm originally from Portugal. Uh, so, um, yes, I did my main educational part. My background was really in Portugal. But suddenly, in my final year, I decided to... Uh, to go abroad. So my first uh, experience was in Prague during a summer school. And I felt that the international mindset was creating me uh, some sparkle in my brain. And so the, the last year I indeed spent the entire year in Paris, uh, where I finished my, my management and marketing bachelor's. Yeah. You, you were at a business school, right? Yes, yes. How was your how was your experience there? Did you like it? Well, uh, yes, I, I did like a lot uh, my experience in, in Paris. So it was a very international school with people from all over the world. And uh, I think it created me uh, the mindset that... Yeah, business should be international and that we should focus on getting a scalable business and not only just work for one country. So uh, while in Paris, I got to, to understand how small the Portuguese market is, for example, and how difficult it would be from a ge geographical point of view uh, to handle just the Portuguese market. So um, I had the the willingness to keep <laughs> my expat experience that is something that i noticed when i um, did my erasmus semester in, mm -hmm. in spain yes. in russia <laughs> and um the people there told me you're so lucky in germany i said i mean well yeah, i'm happy there too but what do you mean <laughs> and they said well you're in the center of europe and you're in in just very little time you're in all of these big great exactly. cities Exactly. Prague, Paris, Zurich, Wien, Amsterdam, and all of that. Mm -hmm. 
And they, from the south of Spain, the southeast of Spain, or from the south of Portugal too, yes. you need so much time to get yes. up there, right? It's yes. not it's not so easy to go there for a weekend trip. Yes. Yeah. When you finished your business school, um, did you come to Germany directly? No. So the thing was that yeah, during my last year um, and when I was finishing, um, there was the moment I had to decide what is the next step. So the next step, I was looking at the different options. I was looking at what my colleagues were doing. So either you have one path where you go to a corporate and you have more stability, maybe more money, more structures, or the other way where you join or you create your own job or you join a startup. And I felt, okay, uh, maybe my personality type, maybe looking at what they have to offer, uh, working with a startup would make much more sense. So um, I met a very interesting startup in Paris that offered me the possibility to start with them. Um, and at that time, I was responsible to open the Portuguese market. Uh, so they gave me from day one a very responsible task uh, that I could track my own performance and that I could see the impact of my work. Mm -hmm. And from day one, I understood, okay, if I want to prove myself, if I want to really create an impact, this is the best way to do it. So from day one, one of the th the things I did was to say, okay, I'm here in Paris, I'm working for the Portuguese market, so what is the next goal? So if I develop the market well enough, are we going to open a Portuguese or Iberian uh, office there? Um, and that was the agreement. So um, they challenged me to do it. Um, it was a very interesting project where we indeed managed to conquer several uh, great key accounts in Portugal, in Spain, in Brazil. So in the end, uh, we managed to open an office in Lisbon. Uh, we managed to grow our number of accounts by 10, 20 times more than what we expected. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I ended up uh, in Lisbon, although it was not my plan, uh, but the startup happened to to yeah to 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 lead me in that direction uh but as the startups are so we grow too much we were bought twice uh by different uh, by two companies two american companies ended up uh buying us the last one was oracle which is a big corporation sure, yeah. so and that that time when oracle bought us uh we had the chance well we had two options either to leave the company with the with a good compensation and with the stocks or uh, to keep working with them under their rules under the price that they define it under the locations that they define it and well for me the option would be to go to dublin uh, and at that time when it happened dublin was not my first choice it happened when I was about to get married. Uh, so I felt, okay, I'm getting married now. And one month I'm moving to Dublin. Maybe it's not the wisest choice. So I decided to decline the offer and 
yeah, although I was jobless at the, for some months, I felt, okay, I can be freelancer. I can try to sort out the situation. Uh, I was not the only one leaving the project. So we built a good network with all the people that left the company. And we launched several startups in different countries, in Madrid, in Paris. So I was supporting those startups, um, launching their business and rebuilding uh, the team and their new small startups that were mm -hmm. at that time disrupting and fighting a bit <laughs> against Oracle. And are you are you still in touch with those guys? I am, I am. Yeah. So it was so these people are people that have been in my network now for more than 10 years and that I consider them um, great mentors. They are serial entrepreneurs that these startups that they rebuilt after Oracle were already bought again by other companies. So those are great mentors that keep pushing me and trying to to make me su successful. The the startup you were talking about in in what industry was it? What kind of startup? Well, it was mainly in the internet, e-commerce and ad tech. So, yeah. Fast forward a few years or, yes. or sometime later you moved to Frankfurt, <laughs> yes, right? Yes, exactly. So Directly from Lisbon? It was directly from Lisbon, so um, yes. After some years doing the freelancer things, things were working quite okay. Um, but life brought me to Frankfurt. Uh, what, what was your um, official like freelancer title, or what did you say? What well, did you do? it was maybe mainly marketing consultant. So. Ah, yeah with digital digital marketing and uh, supporting uh, e-commerce projects okay i see and um and what if you're willing to yes. share what made you come to frankfurt so indeed it was it was not our first choice as a couple <laughs> so both me and my wife had always the goal to to keep our international experience so indeed we were colleagues in portugal but then we met once again in greece and at that time she my wife was working for a greece bank a uh, greek bank uh, and when we met we said okay um the next step for us it's yeah maybe we go back to portugal but we know that uh, our life is going to be international so we will find a way to balance and find the sweet spot. And as she was working in the financial industry, uh, I think the perfect uh, hub um, in Europe, it's Frankfurt. So she ended up finding a job um, in Frankfurt. And although it was not our first choice, uh, I followed. So it was mainly uh, I followed uh, my wife and what I did try to to do was I was working with a startup in Lisbon, a uh, very early stage startup. We were only five, but the main competitor was based in Frankfurt. And uh, it was very tricky for me to do the change. But in a way, yeah, comparing to football, it was like, changing from Eintracht Frankfurt to uh, Bayern, for example. Uh, so they had to understand that, yeah, it was not about uh, leaving a project. It was more that I was in the wrong place at 
the wrong time maybe so i ended up joining a big competitor of us here in frankfurt uh, but there was no bad will no no, bad no not at all in the yeah. end we ended up building a good relation because uh, what I believe is really that there are no competitors. So if you work in a market and you find good synergies, you find out that instead of competitors, you have good partners. So in the end, we ended up building a very win-win situation. We kept in contact, we feed each other and we managed to make possible for this Portuguese company to grow a lot based in the trades that we did uh, with this local one here in Frankfurt. Uh, so I think in the end, we were more than happy. The mm -hmm. founder traveled at least two or three times here to Frankfurt and me the other way around. So we built a very <coughs> healthy relationship out of uh, transference. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's yes. cool. And when you came to Germany, um, what was like... Like really your first impression yes. of the first few days or weeks? What do yes. you think? So when when I arrived, this company was quite international. So we were working several markets, more than 20 markets. The company, had, it was not a real startup, was already a scale-up uh, with around 100 employees. Um, so it was very international. Um, I never felt the pain of not speaking German uh, inside this company. Uh, but then at some point I felt the need to understand a little better about the about Frankfurt and about Germany. And I wanted to update myself because I was quite involved with the ecosystems in Paris, in Lisbon. Uh, but then when I was trying to do it for Frankfurt, I couldn't really find that much information because of my language lack. So um, at some point, it was really impossible to find someone uh, willing to share knowledge. Um, we are talking at a time there were no WeWork, where we are sitting today, there were no Mindspace, there were no Tech Quartier, there were not that many events. What year was it? Uh, well, it was 2011, 2012. 2011, yeah. Yes. I mean, the, the big co-working space, <laughs> um, the wave of co-working spaces came like three, four, five years yes, ago, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I, at, at that point, I felt, okay, there is nothing going on. So... Mm, I'll better stay where I'm working and if there is nothing, there is nothing. Um, but at some point, some years after, I would say four years after, there was something again that maybe because Lisbon started to grow a lot, uh, there was a really good hype when, um, um, when well, A lot of success cases, the first unicorns uh, started to arise in Lisbon. And I felt, okay, let's try it once again. <laughs> Let me see what is happening in Frankfurt. Um, and once again, I felt the same problem. And, and at that point, I said, okay, maybe if the problem is still there, someone needs to solve it. It's uh, a great attitude. <laughs> and um, let me check if there are more people like me that feel that there is something lacking for international people to, to create impact in our region. And indeed, I, I met some people 
telling me the same. Yes, there is no platform. There is not an easy way for us to find information. Either there is nothing happening or it's happening, but we cannot find the information. So what I did, I approached several players uh, in the ecosystem that we normally call uh, multipliers or um, yeah, people that are producing content or people that have produced events. And I offered them, well, uh, why don't you start doing as well in English? Uh, because if not, people don't care where of what is, what's happening. So one of the main portals at that time was RhymeMindStartups.com um, gave me the opportunity to start publishing in English. And from the day one, I said, okay, I'm not a journalist. My English may not be the perfect one, but this will create some traction. And, uh, and indeed, I started getting a lot of feedback not only from people in Frankfurt, but people from outside that started to get aware and uh, they started writing me saying, hey, I'm traveling to Frankfurt. Do you want to help me out uh, while I'm there? Can you connect me to these startups? Can you maybe do an event where I talk to the, to the German and the Frankfurt startups? And suddenly something that I started as a nobby started to taking me yeah, much more time uh, than what I expected. So my full time was indeed, I kept working with some local startups that were growing and uh, that were starting to, to getting international. And I only got aware of them because of my own um, yeah, networking, yeah. Uh, going out and asking people. And um, I found Acomodeo and Bedside and I supported them in their internationalization phases. Um, but at the same time, I was always doing these side projects, uh, events, uh, publications, um, to support really the international um highlighting what is happening in Frankfurt. Um, and this took a lot of time. So I identified areas where we could improve what they were missing. And one of them was Founders Institute. Um, and indeed, in the end, with so many pieces that I brought to the ecosystem, um, I ended up with a very good network that I'm now supporting one way or the other, uh, mainly entrepreneurs, early stage entrepreneurs that want to develop ideas, that want to turn uh, a business into something scalable and with and helping them to, to get traction and to, yeah, to, to build their business. And this is how, how we met too. I, yes. saw, I saw you online. I was looking for a startup uh, information in Frankfurt and that's how I um, contacted you. Then we met at a, um, at a startup event just yesterday. Exactly. Now it's the 26th of February. And um, this is kind of what you do today still, right? But did I understand correctly that it's not like your main job? No. So it's not my main job because indeed... Those who do this, they know that, yeah, it's not a thing that you do for money. Most of the times you do it for passion and for the willingness to support others. Um, so, yes, I must confess that financially wise is not the wisest decision on the short term, but I do believe that you are creating a lot of value. So once you support others, 
people recognized you, people recommended you. So, for example, the co-founder of the, my main business that I'm about to start from March on, I met him uh, through friends and also he pitched for Founders Institute. So uh, I, I do believe that I would never have met my co-founder if I would not be so outgoing, so um, willing to share and willing to give feedback. Uh, so yes, I may not be the richest person on on earth, uh, but I'm finding a good way to establish connections, to connecting dots, and this is helping me a lot. I notice that too. When you when you keep yourself um, open minded and you talk to people mm -hmm. and. Um, you just want to do a good job for other people. Funny things start happening. Yes. You start to get to know people. They recommend you. Yes. Yeah. So this the the project that I'm about to start. Um, I think I met the founder one year ago. So my co-founder now. Uh, we met one year ago, and we kept. He showed me. He explained to me his idea. We kept doing some coffees, uh, monthly coffee, sharing feedback. And at some point, he managed to get some pre-seed money uh, from friends and family. Uh, so now he has the money to start the project. And he just called me and told me, okay, now, <laughs> now we need to do it. So do you want to jump into the board and let's do it together? So and. Yeah, after one year of conversations, I just had to say, yes, let's do it. So that's how things sometimes you should see that all the startups knows it. It's not a, uh, a one month uh, or a two month thing. It's really a marathon. Once you start, you need to invest a lot. You need to be willing to, uh, to be committed and to keep on Pushing yourself, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I listened to um, a lot of interviews with uh, with founders from the US through through podcasts, and what I noticed a lot is that people say um, that startup startup founders say um, it's a people's game. It's a, it's a game of like human interaction, and do you think this is something that like every founder needs to be good at? There are like examples that Steve Jobs was more the um, the guy who convinces others, and that Steve Ballmer, his partner, was more the tech nerd. Do you more often see in founder teams um, those roles shared, or um, do they rather complement each other? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there are things that need to be complementary, like uh, some skills and some knowledge need really to be shared because um, yeah, one cannot be an expert in everything. But when it comes to soft skills and to the, um, the purpose of the company and the mindset, that needs to be aligned from day one. So if people don't share the same values, if people don't have the same attitude, sooner or later, they will have problems. So um, yes, people need to be complementary in some areas, but if in the basics they are not aligned, they will have problems sooner. So it's good that you really spend some time with your co-founders, with your team. And even when you join, when you hire the first employees, you need to be really transparent about this. Because if not, 
yeah, problems will arise for sure. And uh, I think this is something that is key uh, in pretty much all the startups and mm-hmm. companies, obviously, uh, because a startup, yeah, it's about a product, it's about a service. True, yes, but what it's going to make it successful is the team he it. So one of the things at Founders Institute that we always uh, try to see, it's not about the idea, it's about the founder itself. Because ideas, everyone has ideas, um, but the way you execute, the, the way your attitudes are, it's what's going to define the way you will be successful. So... Yeah, we believe a lot that it's about the founders and about the founding team um, and not so much about the business. <laughs> so you would say you bet uh, on the founders, on the yes. people and not yes. on the product, on yes. the business. Yes, Interesting. we believe even with Founders Institute, we believe that a person that joins us can join either without idea or with several ideas because he's going to pivot with the um, with the feedback that we give with the feedback that the mentors gives we have a lot of people that join with an idea x uh, but then they pivot so even with my co-founder now we are still discussing for some weeks and I'm pretty sure for some months, the business model, because there are different ways that we can approach our idea um, and we can pivot from there. And yeah, the feedback from the customer will also make us change. So in a way, you need to adapt, you need to innovate. So yes, you start with an idea, but in the end, you will end up with something very different. So... I see. Yeah, yeah. What you were saying about that the founders have to be on the same page, that they have to be aligned uh, in regards to the project. Is there some, um, are there some tasks or some exercises where um, that help two people to get on the same page, to get the same mindset? Is it like, do you stand at a whiteboard and you brainstorm? Is it, do you write like a manifesto or is it just long, open, honest talks? Well, it's, Different from team to team, I would say all the examples you gave uh, are a good example of how you can do it. Um, that's how I do, for example, with my co-founder right now. So we spend a good time together. We share it between us, but also with other stakeholders, with uh, our investors. So in order that everyone knows the basics so that it's transparent and it's available and documented uh, to everyone. So that if we onboard someone tomorrow, this person can have access. Yes, we will share it uh, uh, and we will talk about it. But if the person wants and check all the the materials that we have, it's all documented so that people can really see, okay, this is why the decision was made because of this and that. They can question then, and what about this and what about that? That's good. Uh, and then we will re-question everything. But uh, at least it's a good way for us to track where we are um, and people can uh, understand where we are going. That's a super interesting topic. And do you have these documents like on a shared folder? Yes, yes. yes. Ah, yeah. Yes. So really everybody in the company can access all the core documents? Right now, yes. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, yes. That's interesting. Well, and I think it's quite normal for startups to use other 
also other channels like WhatsApp or Slack where you share in a different way, in a different content, but you share uh, the information about what's going on and you update yourselves. Depending on the channel you use, it depends as well the the, um, the level of confidentiality and the level of uh, formality or informality, but it's good to have different channels different uh, ways of communicating because some people may like to read it on WhatsApp, some people on Slack, or some people would like to have it really formal on a OneDrive, uh, on a high cloud that you can access and read the full uh, PPT or PDF. So yes, it's good to have different ways to store the information as well, depending on the type of stakeholder that will access the information. And the project that you mentioned that uh, starts now in March, is it something you can talk about? Or? Well, it's <laughs> still a bit confidential, but uh, okay. in, a, in a way it's very related to what I have been doing in the past. So it's related to technology, it's related to uh, using technologies to improve the way the customers use Uh, content and uh, use the entertainment platforms and we want to create ways to increase the the to give better experience to people that are consuming um, content so so it's a tech startup yes exactly a and your role is more on the marketing, on the marketing exactly and people side. yes and connecting or developing the ecosystem of this platform in order to onboard dif different technology providers on one side, on the other side to onboard the first users, the first uh, people that will support us to produce the content. So yes, it's a very diverse role where one needs to do different tasks. So it's not a boring job. You speak with technical teams, you speak with uh, content uh, producers, you speak with uh, people, your end, uh, your end clients to give you feedback about the app, for example. So yes, it's a very diverse role where you have different tasks. Although your title may say CMO, you end up doing pretty much everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And when people in uh, sometime in March want to check out um, what it exactly is, no. it, it, it's not already. <laughs> it's it, not it already not there. Online? No, ah, okay. we are working still to build the MVP. So I believe only in three months we will be able to deliver something that uh, that I could today. <laughs> today I cannot, but in three months I could just say the to download the app. But right now. We, It's not possible. <laughs> we need to do a part two. <laughs> yes, maybe. But when people follow you on LinkedIn, they yes. will sooner or later find out, yes. right? Yes. Okay, great. Yeah. And your um, your work at Founders Institute is it more the work that you described now, like networking, getting to know people, making the right introductions, or is it something else? Well, Founders Institute. Uh, As you may or not know, it's a very international platform uh, that was built more than 10 years ago in Silicon Valley to support early stage startups, 
to develop from an idea to uh, a business. Uh, and from Silicon Valley, they open in more than 185 cities, I believe. Um, and there was something that was missing in Frankfurt. So I felt uh, I did try to open something like Founders Institute with a German company uh, called Start Zero, but we failed. Um because we ran out of money and no sponsors. But with Founders Institute, we found a way to do it. So we built a pre-seed accelerator program that supports people um, to develop uh, their ideas. Uh, so we started last year to pitch this to, to Founders Year in Frankfurt. We managed to gather 30 founders to apply to join. Uh, we started with 30, uh, but it's a very difficult program that we meet every week. Uh, founders have assignments and things that they need to deliver to prove that they are working and moving forward uh, in those specific areas. Um, and what we do, we bring mentors, uh, at least five to eight mentors that can support them on that specific topic of the week. Um, and yes, from 30 and after three months, we ended up with eight founders that finished the program, that graduated, uh, that incorporated into businesses, and that now we are still in contact. So still this week, I met at least with two of them. Uh, they still meet each other as a group outside as well. And um, we are now looking forward to start the second cohort uh, that will start we will keep on doing some events uh, in the meantime to recruit uh, the next batch of founders for the second cohort uh, but in theory if we manage we will start in the end of august again to end the second cohort still in 2020 so with 30 people um this cohort this last cohort started mm -hmm. and Eight out of 30 is a good quote, actually, right? It is, it is. So yeah. the program is real, really tough, so very difficult. We ask them to be committed. They can do it part-time, and some of them do, do did that. Um, but at some point, most of the drops were because they were not able to cope with the level of stress, the level of uh, assignments. So the eight that survived, as we said, were, were really the ones who felt the commitment and the willingness to move forward to incorporate because yeah some people may just say okay i'm not ready yet to incorporate well but if you are not ready to incorporate then you can join in the next court that's what we always say so we expect that the people that were not able to finish last time that they will now join once again and we will push them forward to try to really finish their work and I to see. build the company. And so that the persons um, that are listening who don't know anything about startups, what you just explained means that when somebody in Frankfurt has an idea for a startup, mm -hmm. he can talk with you guys at Founder Institute. For example, yes. And um, you help them in this, is it a 14-week program? Yes, exactly. A 14-week in-person program. That includes um, challenges to like weekly challenges and all mm -hmm. to to grow their idea into a more um, yeah more developed one. Yes, yes. So, so that it's ready to take on seed money. Yes, exactly. Ah, yeah. Or to join another accelerator program. So because most 
of the programs that are, were existing in Frankfurt, like the ones from WeWork Labs or from Tech Quartier, really normally they take people that already have an MVP or that already have something to show, uh, some traction or not really an idea. So we are one step behind and we help people that are really early stage or naive or, well, that have an idea, but really don't know what are the steps that they need to do to get at least the MVP out, to get an incorporated company so that they can then uh, get some traction and join an accelerator program that will develop them internationally. So could you maybe say that those startup babies learn to walk with you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then we support them by introducing them to other people that will help them to run, or we keep on in contact. We also have some other programs that will develop them more in a virtual way to connect them to investors uh, and to, to support them m more in a remote way uh, for them to grow. You mentioned uh, the abbreviation MVP. Well, what is that? What does it mean? Well, it's the minimum viable product or something that they they can really show uh, this is what my uh, business is about if it's an app they show you if it is at least a website uh, just for people to be able to interact uh, with the business i see yeah if well, it is a product a physical product something that you could sell the next day <laughs> so in in the very early stages that you um, work with the founders, um, one thing they have to do a lot because they have to talk to a lot of people, potential investors and all, is pitch their idea, right? Mm -hmm. exactly. the, whole, the whole pitching thing in this startup ecosystem is uh, something very important, right? Yes. Yes. Um, what would you say uh, are very important like general factors that you want to see in a good pitch? Well, I would say passion. So if the person that is pitching to me doesn't tell me a compelling story, uh, if I see that the founder is faking what he's pitching, normally my brain turns off. So um, I stop believing him. But if the person that is in front of me is able to tell me a story and I feel that he's passionate about it. I feel that, okay, this is the right founder uh, for this project. So I believe in him. And if I believe in, in him, uh, other people will believe in the idea as well. So, and uh, I, I really think that, as I said before, it's about the founder itself. <laughs> so what I find very interesting in that is that um, it seems to be something that may come more from a feeling from an emotion mm -hmm. and oftentimes people say yeah well business is something where we have to be tough and rational and it's about numbers and all mm -hmm. um, which it may be at some point right yes but in yes. this specific case it's more about um, a knowledge of people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of um, emotional intelligence yes. you, might me you might need, right? Yes. yes. So it's also about, um, about numbers, uh, obviously. Uh, but I believe that when you are talking to someone, either an investor, a client, a partner, um, you are talking to different 
types of of his body. For example, you are talking to his heart, you are talking to his brain, uh, you are talking to his gut. So at some point you need to touch all of these points in order to have a, a yes. So, um, But if you don't convince him in the art, it's going to be difficult just by the brain to get him to say yes. So it's good that you start with the heart and get the heart to be more into a yes, because if you fail the gut or fail the, the brain, you may still get the yes just because of the art. But the other way around most probably will not happen. Mm -hmm. a, a general observation of mine is that people make decisions based on feelings. And after that, oftentimes they try to rationalize it. Mm -hmm. They try to give you the reasons. And then you're like, ah, yeah, I know the reasons. But I know that you made it um, based on your emotions, on your mm -hmm. experiences. Yes. Yeah. And what uh, what like common mistakes do you see in, in pitches? Well, in pitching, I see, well, one of the first things we had were people that were not willing to pitch. And that's a big mistake. People that are not willing to pitch because they are afraid of sharing the ideas, uh, because they feel that someone will steal the ideas. This is a big, big mistake. We always tell people, well, if you are not ready to share your idea, how are you willing uh, to get feedback or that people will invest in you if you cannot pitch so or if you or if you are not willing to to share it so we always tell people pitch 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 every time so pitch to your family pitch to your uh, neighbors just to get some feedback to, to train it uh, but then in the day-to-day -day business it's all about pitching so if you are trying to convince an investor, you need to pitch, obviously, but also a partner, uh, you need to pitch to him for him to be, uh, to integrate the technology with you, uh, to the clients you are pitching because you want to convince them to use uh, your product or platform. So you need to be able to adapt your pitch, adapt the way that you are communicating uh, in order to convince people um, to do what you want them to do in a way maybe when somebody doesn't want to pitch it's sometimes an indicator that um there might be some perfectionism behind it mm -hmm. they want to wait until it's perfect yes. and this is i mean i don't know you can tell me but this is maybe a killer for startups mm -hmm. to wait until something's perfect yes so we as as i said during the founder institute program we always have The weekly meetings, the first thing that the founders do is to pitch. So they need to pitch in every meeting that we have, they need to pitch. Because we start with the pitch and by pitching, they will receive feedback from the mentors. And while the session is going on, we can use some of the examples that they gave uh, on their pitch to give them the hint on how to improve. So when you pitch, the person in front of you is going to give you feedback, uh, either positive or negative. And with that, you can improve um, your product and solution. So it's all about that. So for me, a no, it's always a way to work on my offer in order to come back to that person, explain it once again if I have the chance, and to get maybe the yes on the next time. I would love to find out how these uh, feedback rounds, how the feedback part work, works. Do you have like a certain protocol 
Is it um, that you always name something positive and negative to not just push somebody in this or that direction? So what, uh, what is the agenda? Okay, so for example, at Founders Institute, we have a scale uh, from one to five where we say that three is not allowed. So really people, our mentors need to score either one or two if the ideas and business model are not good. And four or five, if they feel like the idea is good, uh, that um, they would be willing to invest on that company and that founder, or that they would be willing to work in that idea. Uh, and that's um, in general lines how we do it. So uh, what we ask our mentors is to really be tough. And if they don't see a four or five, they need to score two, not a three, in order to really separate the waters. Uh, and those who receive a negative feedback, so below three uh, in average, uh, normally what they get from Founders Institute are special assignments uh, to work on those areas where they got negative feedback uh, in order to have a second chance um, to get a better ranking. And when the founders have a bad performance, normally we have... Yeah, the kind of on our system, a flag that says, okay, this founder is in risk of dropping out either because of a bad score or because of bad assignments. And we need to have either office hours with this founder or try to connect them with new mentors that can support in the area that he's lacking um, support. Um, and we try somehow to help this founder to develop. Sometimes, yes, sometimes as it is in such a short time, um, they cannot cope with the rhythm um, and they drop out. Um, but sometimes people survive. <laughs> so it's a, it's a grading system from one to... To five. One, from one to five. Five yes. is the best. One, one is the worst. Is the worst, yes. okay. And no threes allowed, because if not, people will always say three. <laughs> This is super interesting. I heard this sometimes when people do like personal reviews of stuff. A seven is not allowed, because a seven is like, well, it was kind of good, but not yes. so good. You know, it's something in between, when in you between. don't really want to make a decision. Yes, so we avoid that. We always said, if you would not work in this company, if you would not invest, if you don't believe in the founder, give it to, don't give a tree, just because your heart was touched by a good pitch, don't do it. Okay. <laughs> and those are also investors that are um, yes, in attendance so and they give like one, one, two, four, or five. Yes. Um, normally we kind of bring a very broad um, audience or very broad skill set of founders. Normally we invite founders who already raised money, uh, investors uh, that can give feedback about the pitching as well. Uh, sometimes we also invite corporates that already run big teams, big projects. So we have different kind of mentors in our network uh, to support in different angles and different industries. So uh, we have people from the prop tech to the fintech to healthcare in order to cover uh, different uh, areas of business and to support with insights from those industries. I see. And um, in, in this feedback round, for example, uh, an investor, a mentor says, um, 
I don't know. This is uh, I give him a four, and then follows an explanation of why it's a four. Mm -hmm. Is it like that? Yes, yes. So, but what we do first, everyone ranks without giving the the reason to not influence the other rankings, and then they explain it. Uh, the feedback everyone has like two three minutes to explain the ranking, and normally what we invite the the founders and the and the mentors to do is to spend a bit more time together after the session. So normally we were meeting in a bar outside and staying at least until midnight, one o'clock in the morning every Tuesday, because people were staying, were talking, were networking, were giving feedback to each other. Also, we invite the founders to work in teams uh, to support each other uh, so that they need to have physical meetings in groups. They need to report. They need to highlight the bads and uh, the goods of each project of their teams. Um, so one thing that we really emphasize is that inside the cohort, everyone that graduates keep a percentage of all the business that uh, graduated. So they have from day one the motivation to support each other because in the end, they also keep a percentage of the business of the like of they, the graduate. they own a piece of the business. Well, it's mean. a warranty. So in case that they have a liquidation in the future, uh, all of us, the mentors, the directors, the cohort uh, founders, they keep a percentage of the of the business. It's four percent shared by everyone. Ah, wow. Okay, so it's really, really a a group thing, a group yes, dynamic. Yes, it's, it's about group. It's about the the community, and uh, that's why we ask the mentors to do it pro bono, uh, and also as directors we do it pro bono. But the reward that we have eventually in the future is those percentage in case that they are successful. That's a very interesting way of uh, incentivizing. Mm -hmm good behavior it's of incentivizing uh, teamwork yes and not um, because in a way all everyone that is inside the cohort directors mentors other founders they are willing and really supportive of each other's because they want them to to succeed yeah yeah so do you feel like uh, generally here in frankfurt uh, in terms of startups it's, it's going well i mean at least better than 10 yes. years ago when you started so right? <laughs> yes there is a huge difference uh, yeah I just compared to eight years ago or four years ago, when we look at now, well, it's, uh, I have a friend uh, that normally says that it's like a tsunami because the amount of startups that there are now starting, you look at WeWork Labs that started one year ago and now I have more than 30 early stage startups with them. We with Founders Institute that just started and also got another 30. Um, You see, Tech Quartier is completely full. Um, and I believe that every month you see a new co-working space opening. So you can feel that, indeed, uh, there are a lot of platforms doing a good work of planting these seeds. And people are now stepping into it. And you see the results of... Um, of this initial uh, early stage startup uh, e ecosystem. Because indeed, when we compare to other ecosystems like Berlin or Silicon Valley, we are really small, true. Um, but the pace that we are right now, it's very interesting. Um, and the indicators are very, very good. So um, eventually we are growing in the good direction and uh, 
we will turn into a very interesting ecosystem soon. <laughs> you already mentioned the Berlin-Frankfurt comparison. So Berlin is the, the biggest startup city in Germany, no doubt, right? Mm -hmm. But you mentioned Frankfurt is on a good way, right? Yes. Do you see uh, Frankfurt becoming like a second Berlin? Or is it is it not fair to say because the cities are very different? The cities are very different. So I believe that uh, uh, we should not target being the second Berlin or the next Silicon Valley because that's not the right way of doing it. Uh, I believe that we should maximize the opportunities that we have in the region. Um, we did a very good effort when it comes to the fintech part. So um, we have a very good amount of programs and platforms that support fintech initiatives. And uh, I believe that outside Frankfurt, indeed, people recognize uh, Frankfurt as a financial hub. Uh, so in that regard, we are doing a great job. But there are also other areas where we can maximize this visibility, like the logistics part. We have a very, as we started our conversation, we have a premium location, we have a premium airport, we have a lot of um, ecosystems parts uh, that could be used in order to maximize the opportunities that we have in logistics, mobility. Um, and I believe that in this specific field, we can still do a lot better. Okay, I see. For example, and we have as, as well the pharmaceutical one, Merck is doing a great job. We have a lot of pharmaceutical companies in the, in the region. I still believe that it's an area that we could grow a lot. Um, so yes, I would say that the challenge would be to not focus too much on the fintech. Yes, there we are doing a good job, but we should try to maximize as well the opportunities on the other business verticals. So Berlin maybe has an advantage in regards of the um, the software mm -hmm. uh, For example, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. In what other areas or aspects about the ecosystem do you see Berlin um, more ahead of Frankfurt? Well, I feel that there is one point that I always try to to showcase that Berlin is doing quite well. So when you look at Berlin, yeah, most of the events, most of the platforms, most of the startups, they already have the mindset that they are developing international products, international business. Uh, it's very common that the startups are run under an English language. Uh, when we come back here in Frankfurt, it's not so usual yet. So um, I remember a lot of startups that some years ago, they would say no. Now they are switching <laughs> and it's pretty much normal that uh, English is the official language. Um, in Frankfurt. In Frankfurt, yeah. yes. Uh, but there are a lot of startups that still need to do this switch of mindset uh, because we have a very great international pool of talent, of students in the region. And when they finish their, um, yeah, their academical uh, bachelor's or master's, uh, they will look into what's the next step. And if they don't have the chances to stay in Frankfurt, they will go to Berlin, most probably. And when I talk to some of them, I feel that 
indeed some of them are moving and not staying in Frankfurt uh, because they cannot find um, the proper mindset or environment for them to stay. And that's where Berlin is doing great. Yeah. And uh, I feel that if we improve the, that side, we have very good conditions to scale a lot of startups here and to become even more inter interesting for the, um, the people here. So Frankfurt should the Frankfurt startup uh, ecosystem should improve on attracting and keeping talent. Yes, I would say right. Yes, interesting. Yes. And we could, or you could, or whoever, um, achieve this by um, uh, internationalizing it more by making like English the main language, not mm -hmm. not German. Which I can con confirm, uh, at least for my very narrow subjective experience, when I was working at a. Um, co-working space last year and I remember there were a lot of startups too of course and some of the people there working um, they had a lot of problems speaking English mm -hmm. where I thought like wow you must speak with, you must interact with, with so many international people but like the, the common language in which you interact um, you're not able to speak really mm -hmm. yeah but I, I do believe that people don't need to be shy about it so we are not English natives uh, we were not born in UK or in US um, so we cannot be shy about not being perfect in our language um, and I feel that a lot of people that I do business with they don't have the perfect English but if they are not shy about it we are all on the same page so we can understand each other and do business without speaking German or Portuguese because my official native language is Portuguese um, and I feel that once we get I think going back to this question this the ecosystem is so early stage that most of the startups are still in a phase that they developed products or service only for the German market. Mm -hmm. uh, and when they start in this way, it's normal because you start in an easy, controlled environment. Uh, so, yeah, you can start in German. It's easier. Um, but once this phase of early stage ends up and you start to be mature and you need to scale and you need to internationalize, the next step is to change to the English, uh, because it's the most common language in Europe, and those are the easiest markets for you right now. And if it's not Europe, then it's US, then it's English again. Um, so I feel that step by step, in one, two years, I think Frankfurt will be there. Um, and I really believe that the, the ecosystem is growing and doing the right steps to becoming very appealing for international people and to be able uh, to be in side by side with Berlin or Lisbon or Paris, uh, those ecosystems where I've been, I feel that Frankfurt is going in the, in the same direction. A good example for two non-English natives who can speak English good enough so they can understand each other, are uh, you and me right now? I mean, it works, obviously, <laughs> yes. right? It's fine. My English is not perfect, yours is not perfect either, but it works yes. perfectly fine. Uh, so would you say that in uh, in Germany or in Europe there's a startup bubble? Because I hear this, um, I read this um, a lot from the uh, US news that in, in the USA, in Silicon Valley, there's, there's a bubble and 
some founders and investors um, start to uh, leave the valley because um, it's so much and it's a constant fear of missing out. Uh, do you see something like this happening here in Germany or specifically in Berlin too? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like it's getting too much? Well, I feel that some of these US uh, companies that you just mentioned are now looking much more into Europe, for example, as a way to diversify, uh, as a way to enter um, new markets. So it's a good opportunity for Europe. And um, I believe that uh, I'm not German, I'm not uh, a Frankfurter, so I really believe that I also don't feel like a Portuguese somehow because I really feel as an European. And I believe that as an European ecosystem, all these small ups together can represent a lot. So it, we should together work more closer. And we have this, um, yeah, uh, this uh, opportunity that it's so easy for us to travel and to communicate between apps um, to really make the European market uh, more appealing because for US investors, US was always the main market because of the size. And when they compare the size of US to Germany, it's very small. Uh, and the same for Portugal and the same for Spain or the same for France. But if we take it as a whole, as a European market, then it's much more interesting. And uh, that's why I said, as we are now scaling up all of these startups, all of these ecosystems, it's becoming much more interesting for US investors uh, what we have here in Europe. So when we talked earlier or exchanged messages regarding the interview, you said that you think founders would really need to be comfortable with failing a lot and pivoting and adjusting. And you mentioned that um, you're comfortable with um, yes. failing too. Yes. Um, When did you notice that this was the case? Was it like w with the first few things that didn't work out or the first big failure that you noticed, hey, I will, I, I can cope with it, I can move on and the next one will maybe be more successful? Well, I believe that uh, indeed, most probably it was on my first failure. So when I had my first negative experience, let's put it in this way, I felt, okay, how can I digest, digest this? Uh, should I become a depressed person? Should I cry? Should I give up and just do what my colleagues do and go to uh, a corporate instead? Um, and that's when I took a moment and I felt, okay, should I questioning question everything about me just because of this failure or should I learn from it and adapt what I just experienced? Uh, it was a negative thing for me, uh, but if I put myself on another shoes and from an external perspective, can I learn something from this and not repeat it? Um, and I said, well, indeed, that's what I should do, the right attitude, instead of just questioning everything and say they are wrong or I'm right or um, doing something different, I digested what I just experienced um, and turned it into a positive thing for me. Uh, 
and moved for the next one. So um, I think I kept always uh, doing what I like the most, what I love, and that's a principle that everyone should do, uh, but accept that things happen. So uh, you may love a lot one project or one person, but things can change. Uh, you may be the happiest person, everything may, can be running uh, very smoothly, but you are working in an ecosystem. You are working uh, in with multiple things and something may not be dependent directly on you. Um, you are just a small part of the universe, so you cannot control everything. So it's good for you to understand that, for example, the person, the founder of WeWork, well, was running an empire and now he's no longer part of the company, for example. Uh, you sometimes lose track or an overview of everything. You cannot expect that things will happen exactly according a plan and that you just adapt for the plan B or plan C. No, you need to keep your journey. And if at some point something happens that it was not as you wanted as or as you predicted, you need to digest the information and keep moving forward. <laughs> Travis Kalanick of Uber is out too. Maybe, <laughs> yes. maybe a more popular example. Yes. And uh, when you see uh, founders... And, that, and just yeah, sure. going back to this, sure, and sure. it doesn't mean that it's the end for you, because I think with Apple, it, it happened the same. So you may leave the company and keep in contact, and one day you may come back. <laughs> so it's very normal that uh, if you accept, if you learn, uh, if you adapt, uh, you can be success successful. And when you see founders that you maybe have high hopes in, where you think like, hey, this is a great founder, but you see him um, maybe not coping well with failures, with things that were hard. Is there some way you try to um, cheer him up or you try to motivate him again? Is there some way where you can reframe the situation for him to show him, hey, this is just one single failure on a long way where eventually you will be successful? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, um I do believe that communication is key. So I know a lot of founders that have a pretty much very dense agenda. Uh, they are always running meetings by meetings uh, and don't make the time for themselves or for the family or for the stakeholders. Um And this is critical. So if you are always under stress and under uh, no time to talking to you, whatever, sooner or later you will burn out or you make someone burn out. So um, one of the advices, and that's something that I think it's really critical, is really to be good in time management and have time for yourself as a founder as well, because you will need it. Because if you are not in a good mental shape, sooner or later your business will be affected. So when I notice that a founder is going in that direction, is not willing to talk to me or to an employee or to another co-founder, or is always giving excuses and not giving answers, 
it's a pattern that you will identify, okay, this person sooner or later is going to have some troubles. And uh, one can identify and can tell the person. And if the person is willing to change, then it's very good because it, 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 the person is accepting the, the feedback. If not, well, sometimes it's just the beginning of, the <laughs> of a bigger issue. A founder has a lot of um, like official things, like bureaucratic things to do, like with um, the Finanzamt mm -hmm. and Gewerbeamt. And, but what in terms of the ecosystem here, the people here, the institutions, what would you recommend a person in Frankfurt that wants to start a company or already started a company but wants to get in touch with more people, what would you recommend mm -hmm. the person do, does here in Frankfurt? So indeed, yeah, that, that's one of the advices that I tell every founder that I work with to do really a lot of networking, to go out, to talk with other people. Um, it's not a waste of time at all. Indeed, it will, people, and especially in Frankfurt, we know it, we have a really great community that is willing to support each other. And um, I do believe that um, that's something that the founders should take advantage of, uh, because if they ask, they will get answers. It may sometimes take longer than expected. Maybe you need to ask once again or ask a different person, uh, but most likely you will get answers that will help you to move forward. So we have a lot of events uh, pretty much every day. Uh, we have a lot of platforms that are supporting the ecosystem. Uh, I can name a lot of them. Um, Frankfurt Forward, for example, it's one example. Uh, as Founders Institute, it's another example. Um, but yes, uh, there are so many platforms that are supporting people, connecting them, promoting that people, connecting the dots like you. <laughs> yeah, a bit like what we do here now. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that's great. And Founders should really take advantage of that because it's most of the times those initiatives are for free uh, and the value that you get out of it may change your business. So, um, for example, Founders Institute and WeWork Labs has been running a events where we do matchmaking for HR, where we try to make co-founders find other co-founders, so we do a lot of speed networking as well, so that people um, come uh, and met a lot of people in a short amount of time. Um, this can be efficient or non-efficient, but sometimes we do it as well, very target on very specific topics like investors. How can I raise investment for my idea? Then we bring up a lot of investors and People with these questions will come and ask directly their questions and will get immediate feedback uh, live. So two things you already mentioned, um, Founder Institute and Frankfurt Forward, right? So if, yes. you, if you Google either of those, Founder Institute Frankfurt or your name, Pedro Ferreira, mm -hmm. um, you should immediately find uh, yes. a lot of results in Google you can contact. Yes. I want to give the people like very, very concrete, very practical yes. tips that why I mentioned that. Frankfurt Forward is an initiative from the city, from Wirtschaftsförderung in Frankfurt. I also have 
yeah, a platform, an online platform called Frankfurt Valley, where I aggregate all of this information. So the initiatives from Frankfurt Forward, from Tech Quartier, from Ohm, from Merck. I don't know. I believe that the power of centralizing all this information is, again, something that will uh, create value for our founders, and that's why I do it under Frankfurt Valley. And there's also an initiative, especially for women, right? Mm -hmm. That is, did you initiate that? Or I it? well, yes. So there is an initiative that I call Women Who Inspire Rhine Mind. Um, that indeed I. I try to move it forward to sparkle and to empower more the female entrepreneurship. And we work closely together with other female platforms like Women Tech Makers, Leaning, um, My Career and Child. So we have uh, a close partnership with digital media women um, to support their initiatives, to share uh, their meetups. And we also do our own meetups like for the next next International Women's Day, we are doing a meetup. We always bring female entrepreneurs, female founders, or female successful role models in order to inspire uh, the other female uh, in the audience in order to step up and uh, face their challenge and be successful. And we also target to bring more men on board to these discussions for them to understand or for us to understand that we also have a role on this to solve uh, these situations in career, salary gaps and um, yeah. I remember at the, at the networking event that uh, I was at yesterday that uh, you co-organized I talked about this issue with two women that yes. um, they are in some areas um, like feeling like they are a lot of men and not enough women. Um, I met this exper experience too in agencies where the higher in the hierarchy uh, you get, the more the more men you have. Is this a um, a uh, a common topic in startup ecosystems in uh, like in the Western world? Yes. Is it something Frankfurt specific? It's common. So unfortunately, the percentage of Companies that are founded by female founders are really low. So we are talking about, in average, in Europe, it's around 12%, um, which is quite bad. Um, worldwide, maybe a bit higher. In some regions, we are maybe talking about 25-30%. Um, so I, worldwide... There are multiple initiatives that are trying to change this in order to empower um, young female students to, be, to feel comfortable to, to start their own companies or even stable, uh, older, female, successful people to just leave their jobs and follow their passions and their dreams and start startups. Um, We at Founders Institute, we also have like a fellowship to promote in order to, so that more women uh, really start. We had a good ratio of female founders one, that were starting. I think we were around 25% were female. Uh, but in the end, it decreased a bit in the graduation. Um, so that's why 
all of these platforms like Women Who Inspire Ryan Mind, what we try to do is really to to tackle this issue uh, and to try to increase the the amount of uh, female founders and as well female employees uh, on the startups. Do you have uh, certain books or, or talks that people can see on YouTube that you on the startup topic, on the startup journey generally, uh, are there some resources you can you can recommend? Well, <laughs> well, there is there is a book that I indeed uh, I was involved in the production of this book. It's called Startup Guide Frankfurt. So for people that really don't know anything about uh, the ecosystem is really good. And this book is available in all the. Um, the main ecosystems uh, but for Frankfurt what it does is to sum up the most important players or people that you need to know from investor side startup founders uh, co-working spaces corporates so it sums up pretty much the basic top 10 of every sector um, in order for you to have it quite summarized in very handful way of great design. So Startup Guide Frankfurt, it's a very good book to to have. I will offer you one. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and apart from, from that, I believe that online there are a lot of resources. So Station, for example, for those who speak German is a good way to be updated uh, they pretty much cover the news about the ecosystem um, is it frankfurt based it is, station, it is. yeah yes when you google station frankfurt startup you will find it yes right? you should find yeah. it it should okay. be the first one <laughs> pedro thank you very very much i encourage <laughs> everybody you. listening to check uh, your workout and what you do online thank and, you and um Pedro always organizes a lot of uh, events in the in the Frankfurt area and also in Gießen now. Mm -hmm. So I encourage people who are interested in that to check this out. I was at one yesterday and it was great. I will definitely go again if I if I'm allowed to. <laughs> and um, yeah, thank you very much, Pedro. Thank you, thank you for the invitation. Yes, thank you for the nice talk. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, see you. See you. Thank you very much for listening. I'd like to encourage you to follow the Connecting Dots podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or every other podcast player that you use. It would also help a lot if you would give me a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That would definitely help me to grow the podcast faster and to share the stories and learnings of the people I interview. So thank you very much and until next time.